Good morning. I often get asked at this time of year on this particular weekend when this Sunday falls closest or sometimes on the 4th of July, what we'll be doing in our services to pay homage to the 4th of July. And my answer is usually the same. Uh, We will take time in our service to give thanks to God for this nation and the liberties and the blessings we enjoy. We'll take time to pray to God and ask for his help in this nation. We'll usually sing a song or two. Today we'll sing, Oh God, our help, in, our help in ages past, to help us do both those things, give thanks and to pray. But today in God's providence, I can't take any credit for this, there is another way that we are going to pay homage to the 4th of July, and that is by turning to the 4th of the Psalms. You like that? It just happened to happen that way. Anyways. Turn there if you have a Bible in front of you or with you uh, to Psalm 4. And as you turn there, there are some things that we know about this psalm. Let me start with what we know before we get to what we don't know. What we know is the author, and it's David. It says so right at the top. Second, we know that this psalm was a part of the regular worship gatherings of God's people. We know that it had become regular in their rotation because of the instructions to the musicians at the top. You'll see these instructions to the choir master with stringed instruments. You'll see those sorts of instructions throughout the Psalms. And it's a reminder to us, these are ancient prayers and songs of the church that we continue to treasure. Third, we know it was written for the evening. Last week's Psalm, Psalm 3, was a morning prayer. This week's Psalm Psalm 4 is an evening prayer. That's about all we know about this psalm, written by David, written to be used in corporate worship, and written for the evening. But there's a lot we don't know about this psalm. We don't know what prompted it. We don't know at what point in David's life he wrote it. We don't know what crisis he was facing when he wrote it. We have no idea if the crisis happened when he was king or before he was king. We don't know if it had any relation to last week's crisis. If you were here last week or caught up with us, in Psalm 3, David's major crisis then was that his son Absalom had turned on him to lead a rebellion against him and to take the throne from him. And then David, in his flee from Jerusalem, wrote Psalm 3. We have no idea if Psalm 4 is related to that at all. So there's a fogginess about the what and the why and the the wear of this psalm. There's a fogginess to it. You could say there's a Canadian wildfire smokiness to the specifics of this psalm. So we can draw a conclusion even from that then, that God in his providence has left the specifics of this psalm out. God is saying to us then through this psalm that in our lives and in this fallen world and even in our prayer life, There's always going to be a lot of mystery, a lot of fogginess, a lot of confusion about the what and the why and even the where. There's a lot we can't know, a lot we can never know in this life, all the answers to those questions. But there is a God that we can know in the middle of that mystery and that God has revealed himself to us so we can know him. We're going to look this morning at 
what this psalm reminds us about God, what we know to be true about God. Nothing I'm going to say today is going to be earth-shatteringly new or inventive. And if it was, I think you should be worried. What I'm going to say today is just true. Praise God. Amen? The first thing we are reminded is that God hears us. Just say that out loud. God hears us. It's true. Verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. That's verse 1. And in verse 1, we basically see prayer 101. A lot of really helpful truths about prayer in this one verse. So we're going to park here for a minute on this verse. We'll spend the most time on this and then we'll, we'll move along. But so many lessons here about prayer, and it's so important to us to look at this, to, to mine this treasure from the psalm so we can know that we can all pray. And the first thing we see is about approach. Look with me at how David approaches God as a child would, as a son or a daughter would, as someone familiar with someone would. David's approach is simply to ask God, answer me. David says, answer me when I call, O oh God. Pick up the phone, O oh God. Don't put me through to voicemail, O oh God. Don't text me back three days from now and say, oh, I just now saw this. Answer me when I call. Simple reminder, but we can approach God like this. We can approach God like this. Answer me, God. It's three in the morning, God, answer me. And as we do approach God like this, we begin to learn about God that he does answer us. And that leads us to lesson two here in this first verse alone, which is a lesson about assurance. David approaches his father with such earnestness, answer me, O God, because he has assurance of who God is. We can approach God because he is the God of our righteousness. It says it right here. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You can approach God at any time, in any mystery, any confusion, in the face of any darkness, evil, question, because you know who he is. All the things that are changing and swirling and confusing and smoky, God is still the same. And he is the God of our righteousness. And that word here means that we can approach God because God has made a way for us to approach God. David doesn't approach God by saying this, answer me when I call because I am king of Israel. Answer me, O God, because it's your favorite one, David. He says, answer me, O God, why? Because you're the God of my righteousness. So we see here already approach and assurance and then the third simple reminder here is a reminder. David reminds himself of God's faithfulness. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. He's looking back and seeing God's past faithfulness as informing his soul as to who the God is that he's praying to in this moment. 
David was following this two-step pattern that we learned about last week, which we'll see often in the Psalms. David had assessed his problem, and it was a big problem, but he didn't stop there by being fixated upon or hypnotized by the big problem. David assessed his problem realistic enough to know that it's a big one, but David also assessed his God, and his God is much bigger than the problem. You have given me relief. I was thinking this past week of about four and a half, five years ago, when we had the Christian musician Sarah Groves here on a Sunday morning. And she sang a few of her songs, and one of them that she sang was one of her favorites to me. It's called He's Always Been Faithful. Uh, once in a while, we've had it sung here as, a, as an anthem. He's always been faithful. And before she sang that song, Sarah Groves shared the story of what was happening in her life when she wrote it. And when she wrote that song, He's Always Been Faithful, she was in the middle of a very difficult season of actually doubting that God was faithful. She wasn't feeling his faithfulness. She wasn't experiencing his faithfulness. She didn't feel it. And so in that moment, she sat down to write a song with every intention of writing a song along the lines of, God, please show me that you're faithful. But instead, what the Lord led her to write was a song about how he had shown her he was faithful. And so the chorus of that song is simple but profound. All I have need of His hand will provide. Why do I know that? He's always been faithful to me. So here in verse 1, the psalmist prays, Answer me when I call. That's approach. O God of my righteousness, that's assurance. You have given me relief when I was in distress. That's a reminder. He's always been faithful. And so with that, then David can pray, Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. Then he circles back. You'll notice this in the last part of verse 3. He's talking to himself. The Lord hears me when I call to him. David knew who he was praying to. The God of Psalm 4, the God that David knew, and the God that you and I can know is the God who hears. And this is basic, I know. But my goodness, how we doubt this. Don't we? That God hears us. I know I doubt this. Remember a season in my life when I was really doubting this. It was many, many years ago before Catherine and I had had half of our four children. And I was really doubting that God heard my prayers. I'd been praying basically the same sorts of prayers for years and not seeing any result. No breakthrough, no answer, no light, no clarity, no, in, no anything. And in the middle of one of those difficult seasons of prayer, I remember I would, we'd put our kids to bed, we'd get the dishwasher started and the doors locked, I'd turn the lights off, and then I would kneel in our living room at our couch and I'd pray. And I just felt like the prayers were hitting the ceiling. You've had seasons like this, I'm sure. So in that season, one Sunday after a service I was leading worship for, a different church, a woman comes up up to me who I'd never met before. And she says, um... Jamie, I have a word from the Lord for you. Now, I'm a charismatic. I believe in prophecy and all these things. But even I, when someone comes up to me like that and says, I have a word from the Lord for you, I, I get a little nervous. I'm thinking, you know, what's this person going to say to me? The Lord's calling you to be an evangelist to the North Pole or something? I don't know. She's, 
So she says to me, and it's through her daughter, because she's not a native English speaker, and so the daughter is translating for her. She says, Jamie, you've been praying this and this and this and this. And you've been saying to God this and this and this and this. She was repeating exact phrases back to me. Word for word, prayers that I have been praying that no one had heard. And then she says, Jamie, God says this to you and this to you and this to you. And in the years to come, everything she said would come to pass. I was reminded that day, and I've never forgotten that, God hears me. So be reminded this morning, maybe that's all you need to get from this sermon. God hears you. And he doesn't just hear your heart. He doesn't just hear your thoughts, which he does, which is beautiful and wonderful and mysterious and amazing. God actually remembers your words. And I want to just encourage you, young people, kids, if you're in the room right now, sometimes you might hear this being said to you as a scary thing. You know, God hears everything you say. (laughs) And maybe it is terrifying sometimes. But be comforted that God has such love for you and particular care for your particular concerns, even what pair of shoes you should buy at the store this afternoon. God hears your prayer, and he remembers and he cares. Our God hears us. That's our first reminder. Second reminder of who God is from this psalm is that God defends us. Verse 2, and then the first half of verse 3, look with me. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. So again, we don't know when he wrote this or what he was facing, but we know that it was a major crisis. David was facing a major problem in his life, and we know that it was major because of the people he's talking to although they're not in the room. He's just sort of talking out loud to them, but they're not there. In verse two, when he says, oh men, that's actually oh men of rank. Oh important men, oh powerful men, why are you lying about me? Why are you seeking to destroy my life? So major problem with major players in his life. I wanna point out something though. He's not addressing these people directly. This is a prayer if, if David's talking to anyone, he's talking to his pillow in this verse. So we're learning here a very basic principle of lament. I mentioned this in the first week that different psalms are in different categories. Some of them are psalms of praise. Some are songs of lament. This is one of those psalms of lament. And here's a very basic principle of lament. It's easy, but sometimes very hard for us, which is you just have to get it out. You just have to get it out. You bottle that lament up, you repress it long enough, you push it down in there long enough, and it's going to explode, and it's going to hurt you and all the people in the vicinity of you. So David has a prayer life, even if it's in his room with the doors closed, to just say, why are you doing this, people? And that's a form of prayer. That's a form of lament. He's, He's getting it out. But as he gets it out, He has a fundamental confidence. And that's the other category of this psalm, if you're taking notes and drawing columns. It's a a psalm of confidence. Look at verse 3. But know. Know what? 
I'm going to get you back, you men. I'm the king of Israel, or maybe I will be someday. I'll have your heads on a platter. No. What's he say? But know that the Lord has set me apart. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. David believed something. Remember, David lived before Christ. So David believed in advance of Christ a promise of God that would end up being fulfilled by Christ. It's amazing. David knew, okay, the Lord is my salvation. Okay, the Lord is my righteousness. And so what he says here in verse three is amazing because it's true for David and it's true for you, whoever you are. And here's what it is. If you're in Christ, I'm set apart, not just by the Lord. That's not what verse three says. I'm set apart for the Lord. You belong to the Lord if you're in Christ. You are his. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter where you go, no matter how much you mess up, you are set apart for the Lord. David is pointing ahead to a promise here that Jesus would fulfill. And I have been reflecting on this promise for us in Romans 8. If you want to turn there, you can, or I'll just read it to you. Here's here's the promise that Christ fulfilled that David believed in. Because here's the question that David was asking. It's a question that Paul asks, a question that you and I ask very often. What shall we say to these things? These problems, these evils, these injustices, these lies against us, these things that seek to separate us from the love of God and Christ. What shall we say to these things? Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What confidence we have in Christ that he defends us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or my terrible boss or my really bad teachers or my family's brokenness or my own sin? What shall we say to these things? That's the conundrum. Living in a broken life, result of the fall, result of our own sin and brokenness. What shall we say to these things? Can they separate me from God's love? What can I say? Here's what we say from Romans 8, the promise that David believed and the promise that Christ fulfilled. No, in all these things, we are what? More than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. God defends us. Defends you in Christ. You don't need to defend yourself. Many of us develop these mechanisms throughout our life. And many of us develop them at a very young age, too young of an age. When we experience things in our life or in our families that are awful and wrong or in your workplace or in your school, 
And it's normal, it's natural. Of course you develop these defense mechanisms. Defend myself, of course you do. What's so glorious about the gospel is you're wrapped up then in an even greater defense that is greater than any defense you could ever muster, any defense you could ever imagine. You are wrapped up in the impenetrable defense of Christ. God defends us. God also counsels us. Here's the counsel. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So, verse 1, David's talking to God. In verses 2 and 3, David is talking to the God less. And now in verses 4 and 5, David is giving God's counsel to the godly. The Psalms do this sometimes. They jump around from prayer in one verse to praise and the next and then lament and then back to praise again, then to counsel. It can be a little hard to trace. So who's talking, who's talking to who? Is this a prayer at this point? What I would say to all of us as we look at the Psalms is then when they jump to think about, okay, what lens is this right now that I'm supposed to put on as I look at this? When we started this series, we talked about sort of these three fundamental lenses that we look at the Psalms through. One is revelation, one is response, another one is Christ. So in this section here, verses four and five, God has revealed himself as our defender. You will have noticed that in verse three. So what's happening in four and five is, okay, now God's calling us to response. He's revealed himself as my defender And so now he's calling me to respond to him by simply trusting him. Simply trusting him. God counsels us, but notice this, that God's counsel to us is always in a direction. And the direction of God's counsel is always deeper into Christ. God never counsels us back to our own counsel. And God never counsels us to the counsel of the wicked. That was Psalm 1. God's counsel to us, even in passages like this, is always deeper into Christ. So God says, okay, verse 3 is true. If I'm really your defender, if I really have set you apart for myself in Christ, then trust me when you're angry. That's the context of verse 4. Justified anger in the face of unjust evil. Sometimes you may hear this verse taken out of context. You know, some random place you might hear. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. To be more precise, what this verse is addressing is justified anger when you are looking in the face of unjust evil. When you're looking at it, go ahead and be angry. You're a real person. God gave you real emotions. God gave you a real heart after his own heart. Be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. Give it to God. Will you trust him as your defender to deal with the situation? And that's where verse 5 goes. Offer right sacrifices. How do we read that in the light of the new covenant? Is Psalm 4 verse 5 calling us to somehow go back and offer an Old Testament sacrifice? When we read counsel like this, offer right sacrifices, it means trust God's way. 
That was the heart behind the counsel to them, and it's the heart behind the counsel to us. Don't tinker with God's way or with God's system by offering your own sacrifice. All of us in this room are tempted to do that. When we're sinned against, immediately we want to just do what we know is going to work. I'm going to send that email. I'm going to say that thing. I'm going to take this action. I'm going to offer my own sacrifice. I'm going to be God for a minute. I'm going to take matters into my own hands because I know that God is too slow. I know that God isn't hearing me. I know that God is too busy dealing with this situation on the other side of the world so he can't deal with my boss who's trying to destroy my life. So I'm going to offer my own sacrifice right now and take care of things. And God's going to notice and really appreciate that I took care of this one for him. God says, no, offer right sacrifices. Trust God's way. How often in the Old Testament you read it and you can see somebody getting on this trail. They're going to offer their own sacrifice. They're going to lie. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. They're going to take matters into their own hands. And oh, if they would have just been silent. Oh, if they had just gone to sleep and waited to see the Lord's mighty hand work the Lord's will. God's pretty good at being God on his own. So be angry, but do not sin. Go to sleep. Trust him as your defender. That's the invitation to response here in God's counsel. And it counsels us deeper into Christ. The last thing we see that's true about God in this psalm is that God blesses us. God blesses us. Look with me at verses 6 through to the end. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. So God blesses us, and his blessing is in the very light of his very face. David is praying again in these verses. He's crying out to God in whatever mysterious major crisis he's facing at that moment, and he's praying that God would simply show up somehow. That God would simply show his face somehow. Give me some light, Lord. Have you ever been in a crisis so dark, confusing, painful, you can't see your way through it? Nothing makes sense. It's so painful. And you muster up some prayer kind of like this, like, God, show me something. Show me your face, Lord. Answer me when I call. This is one of these prayers. David's saying, who will show us some good? In other words, David prays, I can't take it anymore. It's too dark, David's saying. It's too difficult. They're lying about me. They're seeking to destroy my life. He's looking for light. He's grasping for light in the darkness and in the fog. And you may be looking for light too. You may be grasping for some handle on something. And you can't make sense of the what or the why, or the where. And so the good news from this psalm is that the light and the blessing is not in any kind of easy answer, although we wish it was. The light and the blessing of God is not in a quick fix. The light and the blessing of God is in the very face of God. And we see the face of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who would fulfill this psalm when he had perfect trust in his father. 
and he's the only one who ever did, Jesus perfectly trusted his father's faithfulness because he knew we'd doubt it. Jesus fulfilled this psalm when he stood before his accuser and opened not his mouth. And Jesus fulfilled this psalm when he hung upon a cross, looking down at those who had lied about him and mocked him and schemed against him all the way to the point of crucifixion and said to his father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Jesus fulfilled this psalm when he laid his head down in the tomb. And he woke again on Easter and he shined his beaming face upon those women who had been weeping. Jesus fulfilled this psalm. So David could pray in the darkness of his night and you can pray it in the darkness of yours. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And God answers that prayer, again, not in a quick fix, not in easy answers. God answers that prayer in the light of the face of his son. David doesn't know, and David doesn't share any specifics with us. He doesn't have to, because he knows the who. And he praises that God in verse 7. He says, God, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. God doesn't put joy in your heart by taking the problem away. God puts joy in your heart by pointing you to Christ. And it's in Christ that we can rest secure. Verse 8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And that's where we'll close. And I want to teach you a lullaby. (laughs) With that verse that Catherine and I have sung to our kids since they were born. You might know it. If you know it, sing along. If not, listen once and then we'll sing it together. It's basically verse 8. I will lie down and sleep and sleep in peace. I will lie down and sleep in peace. You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I will lie down and sleep in peace. You can sing it or you can listen again. I will lie down and sleep and sleep in peace. I will lie down and sleep in peace. You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I will lie down and sleep in 